לשידור ישיר ממחנה רמה בברקשיירס. Brad and Bob they, they, they it's a very funny YouTube thing they go the two most famous physiotherapists on the internet <laughs> in our own mind that is so we're my congregation is the the three old guys talking to Torah that's what it is we're the three guys uh, old yeah okay talking, yeah look you know we can go into the identity thing all right amazing Parsha this week this is You know, if you have to pick a Parsha that, that's filled with, with material to talk about, it's Vayera. Of course, we could say that about almost every Parsha, except maybe Mitzorah. I don't know. <laughs> Or, One second. Mitzorah is just oozing with things to talk about. <laughs> okay. This Parsha, it opens with the, the visitors coming to visit Abram after his circumcision. We're not going to talk about that right now. Uh, and and the Sodom and Amora ish, uh, uh, event, and the you know, before the Sodom and Amora, the 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 news to when I'm to bear. Well, I, I, I did. <laughs> As we were saying before, <laughs> that that look, the parsha is filled with stuff. You know, the report to to the news to to Avram that he's going to have a child. Okay, and we can go into all of these things, and they're they're rich, beautiful stories. But we do want to focus on Akedat Yitzchak. Um, and, and it's called the Binding of Isaac. Um, and I, I, look, I'm just going to go right there and say, what's the most important point in the story? What's the most important moment in the story? Okay, so I'm going I'm to put out this for you to argue with me and say, I believe that the most important point in the story is not The lifting up of the ma'achelet, the slicing device, the eating thing, the knife, the slaughtering tool. I think the most important moment in the story is vayakod et yitzchak beno. I, I'm sorry to our listeners. I, you know, we haven't built this built this up into the crescendo that it needs to be built up into. Okay, but here's the moment. the The, the point is that he's he's let the two boys stay you know somewhere at the base of the hill he's up at the top of the hill he's put the 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 he is put he's made his altar he's put the wood in the altar he is put he is he is setting aside the fire the text doesn't tell you exactly where he puts the fire but it's clear that the wood is not lit and he then binds Isaac okay and then it tells us he 
takes his hand and he go ahead, Barry. You're gonna the main moment. The main moment is by He had to tie him before he would get on the altar. Read it again. I'm sorry. So at the end of verse uh, nine, it's uh your your sound is bad. Just a second. Let me go to it. I'll I'll do this. So so verse, what's your verse? Nine. Okay, Vaikach Avraham is verse seven. He takes the wood by Okay, he puts it on Isaac. They walk together. He says, "Where is the 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 lamb?" Uh, and here is the fire and the wood. Where is the lamb for the offering? God will provide. Elohim which is a really, really, really important verse here that Abraham is saying, they go together. Verse 9, they go to the place, that God said, he builds the altar, he lays out the wood, he binds Isaac, by right, and then, only then does he put him on the altar. He has okay. to tie him up, before he could get him on the altar. Yes. And I'm saying that the tying is the most important moment. Okay. I'll, I'm going to back my, my case up with the following. The word vayakod appears nowhere else in the Bible. You may say that that's an issue. I think that's an issue. That's not an issue. I think it's an issue. Okay. It's a singular word. It is probably the center of the text. Okay. The focal point of the text. It is the most extraneous element in the whole story, okay? Because if he is going to slaughter his son, then why does he need to buy it? I, we don't know of, we know of no other situation in any animal sacrifice where the the animal is bound, okay? So why does he bind him? And the reason why is because he'd run away. And it's the moment that he binds him, that's when the relationship between Avram and Yitzchak is severed. He has to do it stealthily. He has to exert power over him. He has to subdue him. And it doesn't matter if Isaac is 7 or 37 here. This is the moment of personal physical contact. And, and this is where the rupture is. This is the traumatic moment. It's also a theological rupture. Because what's going to come out of this is the appellation for the God of Isaac is Pachad Yitzchak. Interesting. The fear of Isaac. Because Isaac's association with God is fear. Not the fear of awe, but the fear of being petrified. Say that again. Your, your sound is bad. Not the fear yeah. of awe. It's not the fear of awe, but of being petrified. Like Pachad, Pachad Yitzchak is not reverential attitude towards heaven. It's like, oh my God, uh, this he person wants to who, kill me. who's trying to kill me. Right, okay. And so, it's God, as well as Abraham, who's trying to kill Isaac, from so, Isaac's perspective. Yeah, so I, I really hadn't thought about the observation that you just made, that uh, other sacrifices aren't tied to the altar. And by the way, the and this illustrates what you're saying. I have a different verse, by the way, that I think is the most important, but I will hold that for the moment. Um, it illustrates very well what you're saying. The physical, you know, Abraham presumably had to, like, maybe even overpower a resistant exactly. child. Um, and the, the physical, like, 
is the, you know the famous trolley problem, right? Yes. Um, you, you, the, the trolley out of out of control. It's if you if you throw the switch, it'll kill one person. If you let it to run its course, it'll kill five people. Everybody says, of course, you should you should throw the switch, kill one person, and save the five. And then they tweak the they tweak this um, hypothetical, and one of them is, well, what if you have to push a person onto the track to stop the trolley? That will kill the one person and save the five. And although people typically will will always say, yes, yes, throw the switch, the eventuating in the death of one and not five. But nobody will say, yes, push the person onto the track. They either imagine them standing on a bridge over top. Push the person onto the track. Uh, and, and I think that the reason that nobody ever says to do that when they, when they run this kind of uh, what's called experimental philosophy, like, you know, ask people really what their ethical intuitions are. Um, is that the idea of physically putting putting your hands on another body and causing its death is just unthinkable. And so the thought of tying up Isaac is, is really illustrative of what you're saying. Uh, and I never thought of this before. And I also never thought when, when the Torah imagines, or at least as our sages interpret it, that, that you sacrifice an animal, like, you know, there's the lamb to, you know, snake basim, you know, yom shabbat, snake basim, mimim, you take the two lambs for the Shabbat Musaf sacrifice. They don't kill them on the altar. They kill them in the other room. Exactly, exactly. So so I, I can push my thesis in another direction, which is there's everything wrong in this story, okay? He does everything wrong, and the whole story is a delaying tactic, okay? There's nothing in this story that accords with the normal way you sacrifice, okay? I, 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 I'm going to say this, you know, for, for all of this, you know, I watch this guy, Wilderness Cooking. It's on YouTube, Wilderness Cooking. So I've learned everything I need to know about, you know, how lambs and sheep are taken and slaughtered or whatever. And like, he's happy to pull a lamb out of the flock. He takes the lamb and, you know, goes off the camera for a few minutes and he comes back with a carcass, okay? I'm enthralled by this. Why? Because it, it's it's like normal, okay? There's nothing normal here. In a normal sacrifice, the fire is burning all the time, okay? You just don't start the fire after you slaughter it because as anyone who's ever barbecued anything knows, it takes a long time to get the... To, to get the coals hot, okay? And he has to then, you know, he, he, he understands that if he slaughters his son, right, and if, he, you know, the, as absurd as that's going to sound, he's going to linger there. That That's ridiculous. He doesn't want to do this. This is the thesis that I'm proposing. He does not want to do this. He does mean it when he says that God will provide the animal. He knows that God doesn't want him to do this, okay? Because God is not, a bloodthirsty, cruel, and uh, and uh, obscene, and immoral God. Okay, so the test is perfect because it pits him against God, who is asking him to do an irrational, moral thing, and it pits him against his son, and he has to do something, and he has to save God for God's reputation. I think because if he or if if this were to be carried out according to the way God instructed or God challenges him, we would not be, there would be no Judaism. This is, so, this is not a Judaism that we, would, that we would live by. Why is it then that he's stopped by the angel and not by God himself? I think that's a, it's a, it's a very good question. It's a, good, it's a puzzle for me. So I haven't completely worked this out in the sense that, that 
the angel comes as a messenger, the, the, and why it would be that, that God doesn't do this himself, right? It's the well, let's look at the, the verse, right? The angel says, uh, 11. Uh, in verse 11, so why you're saying it should be God himself that's saying this? Well, right? I, have, I have two possible things about this. One, it turns on, okay, one, one is kind of like, you know, modern scientific shot, which is that um, we we sometimes see the, a malach of God, um, and it means God. Uh, yes, the word messenger obviously is a, some sort of separation, but Moses in the burning bush also sees a malach, but we know it's God. So I would say that, that in the range of biblical styles of expression, it is sometimes the case that a malach really does mean. Okay, so yeah. if you want to go in that direction, then what we can imagine is it's one of the three malachim from the beginning of the Parsha that's talking to him. And that would unite both the beginning and the end of the Parsha. That would be very good. I'm going to go. I got, it. We got another one, too, which go is ahead. that. The, the, the story, and this is also a modern scientific shot, but but it, with much more midrashic richness, which is that Elohim was the word for the first rounds of the story. Elohim nisat Avraham, Elohim yir Elohaseh, and then it becomes Shem Hashem. It becomes becomes Yud Hey here in this latter part of the story, and we typically uh, associate um, uh, uh, Elohim with with Midat Hadin, the judgmental, you know, harsh, harsher powers of the divine, and Yudhevavhe with Midat Harachamim, uh, mercy. In which case, you might have a story in which Dean is prominent in the beginning, the, the command of of sacrifice, the, this you know unimaginable command of violence, and and Hashem. Um, has to come in in to save in the rescue because we really need a shift. Okay, I'm going to go a different direction here and say that this moment is also the rupture of their relationship. The, re the it's the rupture of the relationship between Abraham and Isaac, and that's exact. And that's what Yoram Hazoni in his book, The Philosophy of the Hebrew Scripture, I have it right here. Okay, very very important book. All right. So his his take on this is that. It's not Isaac that is being sacrificed. It's the relationship between Abraham and Isaac that's, that is being sacrificed. And number two, it is in this precise moment that there, there is a bit of a rupture between God and Abraham. We know, we've all noticed this, that after the Akeda, there is no more speaking directly to Abraham. Sure, God will bless Abraham. God will bless Abraham, but God will not speak to Abraham. I, if, if, if you were to ask me, you know, could you locate the, the, the moment when the, tele, the, the connection is broken, when the, you know, the broken telephone, the broken wire, it's this moment. Why? And so the best I can do here is because it's embarrassing to God to have to face Abraham, okay? Because but what does that make of the religion then? What, so I, I, I'm, I'm going to ask the, the question the other way, which is what would it have made of the religion if he went through it? It would not be a religion that you or I would want to, to be a part of, okay? That, 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 that's, a ruthless, that's a question you can ask, though. Uh, even with with okay, if he'd gone through it, it would have been worse. 
But the same question is still a relevant and, and apposite question to the, what you just described, which is that God in that scenario is very powerful. You know, the way you present it is very powerful. And there's a lot, of, a lot of depth in there. But, but you still have to ask yourself, how is it that God sets up a situation in which it destroys a parental child relationship and then becomes embarrassed God becomes embarrassed to before Abraham that either A, Abraham was so fanatical that he was willing to do it when he should have resisted, or B, God destroyed human relationship. I don't believe in a God that destroys human relationship. And C, now God and Abraham can't talk anymore. Why did God do anything in the first okay. place? So you got, you're getting me shuckling now, okay? In the Midrash, the, I'm going to call it the Rem, okay? Rabbi Elliot Malamud. The Midrash Rem. The story is not over, Okay. And the story is not over for any one of us, okay? That the story of Abraham and God is a story that's filled with, with both the, the desire, like we talked about last week, that God loves Abraham. And it's also a story of great pain. And that the unwritten chapter of the story is rapprochement. It's a story of, how do we, you know, I got to, I got to, I have to forgive him. And he has to forgive me. There's, there's, look, this is what he's asking. He's at, God is asking to sacrifice the son, his son, okay? So what ends up happening is that he destroys his relationship with his son. We are all parents, okay? There is nothing more precious to us in the world than our relationship with our children. If that was being asked of us in order to create a nation, in order to serve, in order to, in order to have God's presence in the world, it would be a hard ask. And I don't think that any one of us could really you know, we none of we are not great, okay? But Avram succeeds in doing that, okay? And that's painful, and that and and that's so that's so viscerally painful. And there's a wound there, and that relationship needs to be repaired. And so, I, you know, I, you know, I did this on Rosh Hashanah, and it's still fresh in my mind. You know, in in, in the play acting of the relationship, it's you know. There's atonement that needs to happen. There, there, there needs to be in the in the story after the story. It's how are we going to be together, me and you, God? And that's where I can say to people, especially people who have gone through terrible, terrible things in their lives. You know, they you do you think maybe you need to forgive God? And that's all. It's it's an audacious thing to say. It's almost impossible to to say, but but there's some truth in that, in the sense that. When people feel so, so, you know, crushed, they often blame God. And maybe right, God. But is Elliot, yeah. I, I would make two comments here. First of all, when the angel appears again, he says, I will bless your seed and you'll become like the, the stars of the heavens. But that doesn't happen. In other words, there's no resolution for Abraham because the multiplication of his seed is really through Keturah. Right in his lifetime. It's not through either Hagar or through Sarah. And what is one supposed to make of that? Right. What I make and of the, that. I, and then, since you mentioned the Yamin Nori and the High Holidays, what does that do to our concept of Zechuta vote? If this is the relationship that ends between God and Abraham. No, I think I think Zechuta vote, the, the, the merit of the fathers. Okay, so so here, this is an extraordinary act that Avram does. Avram is the exceptional individual who, who will do this. 
And, and it's because, I mean, the, the, the way that Jewish liturgy uses this moment is it's a, we basically put that in front of God. We say, God, look what he was able to do. Look what he was willing to do for you, okay? Because he was willing to do that for you, and because he did that for you, you do this for us. That's what, we, and that's the chudavot, and and I'm I'm totally with the the that liturgy, okay. I I I'm reading it in a, in a sense. This is a consolation prize for him. The you know, I seriously you know when when you get into the story, you want to you want to, in its depth, in what it demands of us, is to to rip out our hair. It demands impossible emotional involvement this is not a cartoon this is not like rem you know a painting this is this is the reason why this works is because we often have to put everything on the line we were talking just before we started recording you know the sacrifice of children still goes on why does it how does it still go on because parents still sacrifice their children to 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 they send them out to war to defend uh, uh to defend the, the nation. Look, we, we we deal with this on a regular basis. This we if we if we follow closely, you know, things in Israel. Israel experiences wars. Israel experiences terror, and the 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 victims of terror, the soldiers who died defending Israel, they're called korbanot. You know, literally sacrifices. That may be a more of a, a a phenomenon of the way that language has evolved for us. Fine, but the point is that that this drama of sacrifice still goes on today. And the question is, the reason why the story resonates so so powerfully is because on some level, we, we can, you know, at least think of how it relates to, to, to civilization. There's a, there's, a, um, there's a lot of reasons why this story works so well. And it, it's, it's important not to uh, go without mentioning that this is the sublime height of biblical prose narrative. I mean, the, the writing of it is just incomparably wonderful in very, very spare details, much, much, much more uh, implied beneath the surface than ever, you know, brought into explicit uh, expression. Uh, it works because, uh, as we all say, you know, the parents, we, we do have this feeling of uh, endangering our children, risking our children, losing our children. Um, and that's that's a huge grip on the human heart. I think it also works on the d dimension of, you know, the infinite demands. You know, I, I think in the, in the main, I don't really read Bible characters as as real people. I, you know, I don't. We don't really know like who's who's funny or who has a bad temper or who's tall or who's short. The Bible doesn't tell us about people. They tell us about great situations, and this is a, a story about an impossible demand. Impossible. Yeah. Impossible demand, and how it is that you handle the you know, the tragic elements of destroying your human relationships and destroying your your divine relationships. I think that part is all uh, really powerful. I, my candidate for most important line. I mean, there's a way in reading the story, and and you can basically we're talking about it now. But that that Isaac is a little bit of a prop. You know, it, this is really about Abraham's test about how Abraham will respond to this impossible divine demand, but. There's also a, an element in which, um, you know, I want to bring in Isaac as more than a prop. Um, there's a great um, uh, um, a, a poem on the, on the High Holidays that, that's often said, mostly in Sephardic, but it's really great. I try to bring in it. 
This is the time of opening up the, the gates of Ratzon, of will, divine, divine favor and will. And the stanzas always end with Ha'oked, Ha'ne'ekad, Ha'mizbeach. Okay, the binder and the bound and the altar. Three characters, as it were. We can make the third character the ram, but the binder and the bound. So to me, if I want to bring in Isaac as more than a prop, um, I'm going to go with the line that when he first says, and, and the and the the repetition of of uh, Avi and Beni, my father, my son, Vayomer Yitzchak el Avraham Aviv, and Isaac says to his father Abraham, calling to mind that relationship, verse 7, 22-7, he, he, he uh, says to his father, uh, he says to Abraham Aviv, his he says father. to his father, but it doesn't say what he says, and then he just says, Vayomer Avi, and he says, my father, again, tugging on your heartstrings, child saying to parents, father, are you still my father? Are you really my father? Abraham replies, Vayomer hineni Bani, here I am, my son. The son says, there's, there's the fire, there's the wood, where's the, where's the, uh, where's the animal? God will find his own lamb, for the sacrifice, for, uh, for the offering. Bingo. The two of them go together, which the, the, I think in that very, very spare, Spare uh, a moment. Elohim yir Elo said, God will find his own lamb. Isaac has to understand that he's the lamb, and they walk together. Isaac goes on with a certain uh, with a with a uh, resignation and his own his own measure of devotion. Okay, so the reason why I'm shaking my head here is because I really believe that he believes that this that this is what's going to happen. And and that's that's where it becomes the the test of his faith. He believes that God is not going to do. It. I, I agree with everything you said, by the way, about Yachtab, that that you know they they walked off together, and that the the story itself builds and strengthens and magnifies the the relationship between the two of them. That that's the central tragical tragic moment. Okay, but but when he says exactly what he says, which is God will God will provide the offering. It's it's not a lie. It's this is how well, we it is a lie. No, because, yes, <laughs> because he doesn't say God will provide the offering. God will see. God will provide the sheep. No, God will yeah. provide. Okay, okay. So it's your I'll, I'll explain. No, this. so and again, <laughs> I, I think we have to see this in light of what we've already seen earlier in the parsha, where Abraham says things that are not true. No, so so. The reason why I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm I'm disagreeing with you so strongly is because he names the place based on the fact that 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 what he predicted happened. Okay, he calls the place right. Um, Adonai Yir Eh. Adonai Yir Eh, because that's exactly the miracle that happened. He was predicting it. It it's you know as Hazoni says, it's the it's the most overlooked piece of the text. Right. Well, how do you understand? Two, I got two. How do you two understand? Problems. I don't know you're at. God will see, and but, it's exactly what happened. Okay. But what does he see? He saw to it that there would be an animal. No, he saw Abraham. He saw it's, a, it's a, okay. Double okay. Double meaning. God provided the animal, and God saw it. it there. So Abraham is saying, "See, God, I did what you asked me." No, it's not yeah. only that. 
Well, that's what the words say, Elliot. <laughs> he, but he, he says it before. He says, God will provide. And of course, this becomes the place where people will be seen. Yes. And well, people- so, so wait a second. I, I got a couple of objections here. Number one, Go ahead. The, the, the enigmatic quality of the divine seeing and appearance is, is quite complicated because it, it is... You know, in, in, in verse 8, it said, Adonai yir elo haseh, which I translated as God will find his own offering. God will see to it. But then but when it comes down to 14, where this actually happens, not Elohim. And now again, we switch to Adonai. Abraham calls the name of the place God will see. Asher ye amer hayom, as it is said nowadays in some sort of apparently common expression, Behar uh, Adonai which would could mean either God appears in the mountain or he he appears in the mountain of God. I, I don't know exactly which, but it doesn't it doesn't unambiguously mean and you know God saw to it, it worked out great. Um, I think God is appearing there. But now here's my main thing. We we are all aware, our listeners are no doubt aware or should be aware that um, a, a, a very prevailing Midrashic tradition has that Abraham is not stopped at the last minute. Abraham goes through with it, um, and Isaac dies and is resurrected. Uh, and that is a Midrashic tradition, Midrashic understanding, that really, really, really caught fire, caught it caught the Aish and the Aitzim uh, of, of the hearts of, of the Jewish people, and not just them, because that's the Christian story. The Christian story is that the beloved son died and was resurrected. I think that both the ancient rabbis and the ancient Christians um, understood that this story, it, it might be disaster narrowly averted in the way that you said that Abraham always knew that disaster was going to be averted and he had the faith to go on with it because he knew it was going to come out okay. And there's a great cogency and power to that to that interpretation. But I, I also think that the other interpretation has, has its own great cogency and power, which says God demands impossible things. And sometimes people even go through with it, but in very rare and fabulous and providential circumstances, God God you know, saves us from, from our own, um, you know, carrying it through to the, to the, to the, to the full out extent. Okay. So I, you know, I, I don't want to say I reject that. That's, you know, too arrogant, whatever. It, it, I, I want to say it doesn't captivate me. It doesn't captivate me because I, I almost, I almost want to say there's something, there's something much more quote real about the way things happen in real time here in the story than than the the death and resurrection, which I, I I interpret it's it's very Christian, and I think the rabbis are trying to argue against the Christian reading of it. How can they be arguing against it? They in fact adopt the same. And I don't and I'm not saying that the rabbis are imitating Christianity. I think that both of them are drawing on a kind of esoteric reading of the Torah that that goes back to very ancient times. I, I think it's it's just not. It doesn't become a normative. So, way that we a question, it. Elliot. Yes. It, it seems that your reading makes Abraham greater than God. I don't have a problem with that. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I understand that you don't, but it seems that the religion does. You want it darker. No, Here I, I am. Know, 
Because what, what does God want? God wants Abraham to be as full as a human being as possible, okay? And, and maybe God loses here, okay? So, okay, so let's take your reading then. And so what is the lesson we take away from it? What's the lesson? The lesson Why is it in the Torah? Look, it's, it's the, it, the reason it's in the Torah is to break our hearts. And it, the reason it's in our, the Torah is to tell us the, to, the, to, to what direction he, Abraham, went in order to found this people and what he was able to do, which none of us, I think, is able to do, which, which is one of my questions on this is, is this a normative archetype for normal religious behavior? And the answer is no, absolutely not. I am not asked to do this, okay? But the founder of my people, the founder of our people did do this. And that's what makes it very, very um, exceptional, right? Nobody else is going to be asked to do this. So we I will would... be asked to do to, to do other sacrifices. Okay, every single one of us knows what sacrifice is if you live a Jewish life. We know this. Okay, we 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 may. Um, I don't think we will ever be asked to do ultimate sacrifices. None of us is in a situation where we need to literally put our life or the life of our children on the line for anything ultimate. God this is this is but this what you're saying now and I do have to go but what you're saying now is that is kind of proof of why that alternate you know death and resurrection midrash caught on so strongly and and again our listeners you know may well know this um in in the crusades it is like it may be somewhat embellished but it appears to be at least partly factual not just not just a legendary story that Jews did sacrifice their children to prevent them from falling into the hands of the Crusaders. Sure. And and they told them, they wrote poems, and they, you know, told the story of, you know, Abraham did this once, we have been doing this over and over again. And it, and we're recording this now the day after Kristallnacht, and so, so Shoah stuff is on our minds. And and I think that one of the reasons that the, the, the Akedai is so central in our religion is that, for all the reasons that you said before, we really do understand, and some of us actually, in more than metaphorical ways, understand what it means to sacrifice your children. And our Israeli brothers and sisters, who who you know send send children to the army in a way that American Jews typically don't, you know, they understand it deeply. And so the death and resurrection motif um, is, I think, you know, that it's not just that Abraham did it once and none of us ever have to do it again. It is that we may, in fact, have to do it again, and that's that's why I think that that other alternative reading. I just spoke want to, to add one thing here, since we're near the end, and that is so, Elliot. You want to stress the humanness of Abraham, and yes. yet you take him out of our own humanity because we cannot be like Abraham in your reading of the story. He is greater than we are, and I myself prefer our religious heroes to be people that we can emulate that we can identify with them and become them in some way, not intellectually, but on a human level. And that maybe that is the difference between you and me. Maybe it is. I just, you know, I've been, I've been, I guess, you know, I remember. No, it's very impressive what you did. I remember oh, a, you know, a high holiday ad that the JTS put out, you know, we're not all Michael Jordan, you know, and I went to a concert re recently. I saw this guitar player play and I'm going like, this is, this is unbelievable. All right. There is there is a, a phenomenon of human greatness of excellence in in certain ways that are not it's not even approachable by ordinary people okay 
And this is, there is, there's a certain spiritual greatness in Avram that is, that is not available to everyone, okay? Yes, there is a mythology that builds up in certain communities around the sainted people. And, and we can have a debate about that. And I'm ready to have a debate about that. But in terms of the Torah, in terms of Avram, Moshe, these are, they're not attainable. You got it. Okay. So right. thank you all for watching. <laughs> and leave a comment. <laughs> Take care. Thanks for watching.